recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Thank you, Hill. Good morning, church. So good to be here with you. And for those watching online, I hope you're enjoying the service and we pray you'll be blessed. Yes, my name is Andrew. For those who don't know me, there's a new few, few new faces in the building. So just so you know who's talking to you, who is this person. Um, been at Parramatta for over 30 years. I was about that tall. As you can see, not a lot's changed. Um, my beautiful wife, Cheryl's here. In fact, I've got four beautiful girls here today. My kids are hearing me preach for the first time, so no pressure on dad. Shall we pray before we get on, under, underway? Father God, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for giving us your word. Lord, today, as we gather in this place to hear you speak, Lord, to hear what you have to say to your people, I pray you would give us an open heaven. We thank you, Lord, you are present. You have touched us as we have ministered to you today in worship. And now, God, I pray you'll continue to move in this place. Give us open hearts, Lord. Your word says uh, in Psalm 119, Lord, would you open the eyes of our understanding? Would you open the eyes of our heart that we might see wondrous things from your word today? Would you inspire your people? Lord, fill my mouth. May May you speak in this time. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So if you are visiting with us today, we are in the second week of a brand new series called New Year's Attitudes. As the name sort of suggests, I mean, it's a time of year that people are thinking all about New Year's resolutions and stuff like that. I'm not going to ask you how yours are going. I'm not going to go there this morning. Um, but we sort of figure that it's a good time to reset because attitudes are things that change behavior. It's not just a matter of setting goals, not just a matter of I'm going to do X, Y, Z this year, but rather, would God change my heart? Would God give me these new attitudes? And so we looked at the fear of God last week. This week, we're moving on to joy. And I hope you're getting the kind of impression already that these are going to be things that, a couple of things, they're going to build on each other as we go. You can't have joy without the fear of God. And what follows, joy is kind of a springboard for that as well. And the other thing is that without these attitudes, our faith can be very external. Our faith can be hypocritical, really, if we're honest. And so these attitudes will shape the way that we live, the way that we interact with one another, the way that we do our Christian walk the way that we we go about it and so joy I mean I think back to the 60s and we were told that what the world needs now is love sweet love some of the younger ones like what is that all about I'll tell you later Um, and that's not untrue the world needs love but I submit to you the world also needs joy the world needs the joy of the Christian. I mean, look around us. We have been through world wars. We've been through famines. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. I think we need a little joy. We need the church to tap back into what is it that God wants us to, how does he want us to display that joy to the people of the world? So let's talk about joy. What is joy? How do you define joy? A lot of people think of joy in terms of pleasure and happiness, and there is a link, but you'll see they're different. In the Bible dictionary, Holman's Bible dictionary, he he puts it like this, that joy is the happy state of being or the happy state of mind that results from knowing and serving God. It's the right, it's the fruit of right relation with God. 
which should make sense to us because joy is the second of the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. It is what comes out of us knowing Jesus. And see, he goes on in his uh, his definition of joy. It's not pleasure. It's not happiness. They are tied together. But you see, pleasure is to do with our gratification. Happiness is to do with our circumstance. Joy doesn't have to involve either of those. It can. They can all work together. But it's a different thing. Whereas happiness and joy, tend, uh, happiness and pleasure tend to be the externals shaping the inside, joy works the other way around. Joy is something from within us that will shape the way we behave, the way we interact, the way that we do everything as Christians. But this inner reality is something that we're all built to look for. This inner peace, this inner satisfaction, this happy state of mind, everybody wants it. The world's crying out for it, but they don't know where to find it. They don't know where to look for it. And so what tends to happen is the world's enticement is to pursue pleasure. It's to pursue happiness. The sad thing about that church is this. That pursuit is like a treadmill. You never get to the end of it. Because you're happy with this, you want that. Then you're happy at this place, you want more pleasure. It's just a vicious cycle and it never, ever ends. Joy doesn't work that way. Joy allows us to have that satisfaction. But... Here's the thing, we can't pursue joy as an end either because the pursuit of joy as an end is gonna take us back to that trap of the pursuit of pleasure. Paul writes in 2 Timothy that in the end, in our days, in the last days, whatever that means, people will love pleasure rather than loving God. It's not wrong to enjoy good things, but it's wrong to make that the end. It's wrong to make that the, the reason you live is for your comfort, for your pleasure, for your happiness. God wants something greater for us. He wants joy. He wants joy for you and for me. So what does the Bible say about joy? We're gonna fly through this. There's so much we could say, but each one of these could be a sermon in and of itself. I'm gonna start with the heavens, joy in the heavens. And perhaps the most well-known passage about joy, Luke chapter 15, some of you will know it. The parable which Jesus breaks up into three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And in each of those occasions, we see someone or something that's missing and there's a finding. And when the sheep is found, when the coin is found, Jesus points out that in the same way, there is rejoicing in the heavens over one sinner that repents. I can imagine it's almost like a stadium and as somebody, the the place is going off when somebody repents and puts their faith in Jesus. And then in the last verse, when the father is, is, is remonstrating with the older brother, he says, son, we had to celebrate. Your brother was lost and he's now found. Your brother was dead and he's now alive. If this is what heaven's like, I submit to you, it's a pretty joyful place. As people are finding Jesus all over the world, every hour of the day, there must be cheering going all the time. Heaven is a wonderful example for us joy in the heavens. You would think looking at that, we would have joy. We would, we would know what it means. But you see, there's a bit of a problem here. Joy, for us as Christians, we don't always get it because maybe, maybe like the world, we're looking in the wrong place. We're not looking to the heavens. We're not looking to what God is doing. Graham Bynan, you're going to hear that name a lot over this series. He came up with this book, Hard Attitudes. He says this, He says that the danger is that while Christians have a great source of joy in Jesus, it can remain untapped. We're sitting on a gold mine, but we don't realize it. 
And that means we'll be tempted to look for joy elsewhere. You see, despite our riches, we're trading in monopoly money. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of trading in monopoly money. I'm tired of looking for the pleasures of this world to satisfy me. I want Jesus. I want something greater. I want his joy. I want the joy. Hebrews tells us that it was joy Jesus counted in order to go to the cross. I want that kind of joy in my spirit. Not monopoly money. I'm done with monopoly money. So that might be the heavens church. What did it look like in the early church? What did it look like? Well, book of Acts. We've got example after example. I've just picked on three. The day the church was born, Pentecost. And in Acts 2, we see that amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit. And we read that the church gathered together daily and they had glad, sincere hearts. The English does not do this justice. The word glad is translated as extreme joy, wild joy, exuberance. I wouldn't mind a bit of wild joy in church. I wouldn't mind a bit of extra joy. Am I alone there? I would love to see joy in this place. And then a bit further, persecution's coming. This is the context. Persecution's coming. The church scatters by Acts chapter eight. And Philip winds up in Samaria and he's preaching the word and people get saved. Signs follow, wonders follow. And notice it says there was great joy, not in the church, great joy in that city. Church, we're praying out there this morning and you probably caught some of it when Hill prayed just said, I want joy in my city. I want Parramatta to be joyful. I want Northmead to be joyful. I want Toon Gabby to know the joy of the Lord. Is that your heart this morning? That the joy would spread from here to out there? And then come Acts 16, Paul and Silas end up in jail in Philippi. The place shakes, their chains fall off. And instead of running into the night, they lead the jailer to Jesus. And the jailer and his household. And the jailer was filled with joy. So even on an individual level, you might say, Luke's just bypassing you. No, he gets down to the person. He gets down to the individual. This is how joy changes us. And then Peter fleshes out why this is so. Paul does too, but Peter says this brilliantly. In 1 Peter 1, he says, you are filled with a joy that is inexpressible, a joy that is glorious because you're receiving the, fine, the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Church, I submit to you, joy starts with being saved. Joy starts with us knowing God. Joy starts with us realizing we've passed from death to life. And that tells me something, that if we don't know Jesus, And if we expect joy in our lives, if we don't know God and we expect joy, it's a bit like us being a tree that has no root beneath us, but still expecting fruit. We're not going to have joy in our hearts without knowing God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of what God's doing in us. There's, There's no hope of that. Absolutely no hope of that without knowing Him. Now, all of that said, need to just level up here a moment. We do know that life gets us down. We do know that life makes it hard to experience the realities of God from time to time. And Paul knew this too. Paul knew that joy wasn't a given. Because if he thought it was a given, he wouldn't need to command what he says to the Philippians or to the Thessalonians. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
think about it. If it's automatic, you don't need to say it. If we've got this down pat, there's no need for that. But he knows because, see, he was suffering. He was in prison. He's writing to a church that's being persecuted. He says, you've got to rejoice. Rejoice. You look at Philippians in particular. It's joy, 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 joy all the way through. Rejoice. Even Jesus himself helped straighten us out. In the book of Luke, you know the story. He sends out the 72 and they come back and like, Jesus, the demons are bowing. Sick are getting healed. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. And Jesus is like, well, that's, that's all great. But listen, don't rejoice that the demons bow to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Jesus directed their joy. Take it to joy in your salvation. Joy in who you are in Christ. Joy in the fact you are His. You are a child of God. That's where the source of our joy should come from. Because church, if we plumb that depth, we'll never get to the end of it. We'll just be continually thanking God, continually joyful at what He has done. And so church, if that's a taste of joy, if that's the search for joy, and we we sort of see, okay, we sort of found it. We can see, how do we though experience that as a lifestyle? How do we get there day to day? What does that look like? I'm gonna suggest it starts with the gospel. We take joy primarily through the gospel. Now, there's a tendency in the church today to think that the gospel was the way you got saved. It was the gateway to God. But, but that's kind of it. We're, we're, we're past that now. That was kindergarten. We're now onto the bigger stuff like prophecy and all these kind of fun things. Let me just encourage you gently, church. The gospel is not simply the gateway. The gospel, we never stop needing the gospel. We never stop needing the gospel as children of God. The reality is we're gonna need it forever. And that's a good thing. In the Psalms, we see celebration over joy. Psalm 103, you guys know this so well. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy. As far as east is from west, he has taken our transgressions from us. Colossians 1, Paul writing to the Colossian church, he says this amazing thing. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have what? Redemption. Forgiveness of sin. It's gospel. Joy in the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I can't read that sitting down. I can't read that and just be ho-hum about it. This is a big deal. God has allowed us to pass from death to life. And in, in me and hopefully in you as well, I know certainly in the Bible, it makes the writer praise God. It leads us to respond in praise. Ephesians 1 full of it, to the praise of his glorious grace. You know, he has seated us in heavenly places, all that kind of thing. And Paul can't stop saying that. Psalm 71, he rescued us from the depths. The psalmist concludes, who is like you, God? I will proclaim your salvation. I will talk about all the good things you have done. In Psalm 126, Israel got back from captivity. What do they say? They say that their tongues were filled with shouting and the nations say, The nations say that the Lord has done great things for us. Our joy comes from the gospel. Tim Keller says this amazing thing. See, like I said before, it's not just the gateway. The gospel is not simply the A, B, C of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. Yes, we are saved by believing the gospel, but we are transformed in every part 
of our minds, our hearts, and our lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply as life goes on. And just as an aside, the gospel matters as to what it teaches us as well. There's a teaching I've heard surface that, you know, the cross is a measure of my worth. The cross, you know, Jesus paid the price because I was worth redeeming. I don't agree with that. And I'll tell you why. The Bible, I mean, didn't John Newton say, amazing grace, that's how sweet the sound that saved a legend like me? No, no, he said a wretch. There was nothing about us that was worth saving. Just to sort of illustrate this a little bit, I'm gonna ask Michael and Angel to come on. I did give him prior warning. It's always scary when you get someone up, isn't it? What's he gonna do? Yeah, come, yep, that's good, that's good. So Michael and Angel have been accused of the same crime. Now, here's the difference, and you're never gonna believe this. Only Angel actually committed the crime. Michael was innocent. I know, this is really unrealistic, but let's, let's, let's keep going. So the judge goes over both of their cases and he says, yeah, Michael, I realize you are innocent. You're free to go. To Angel, he turns around and says, you're pardoned. I know you're guilty, but you are set free. Which of the two do you think is gonna have the greater joy? I'm gonna submit to you, it's the one that did the time, that did the crime. And the judge says, you're free to go. Because he's going to say, oh, you owed it to me. Of course you owed it to me. No, 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 no. This, this is the reality. And this is the reality for us as Christians, church. Sometimes we think God owes us something. God owed us nothing. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. God owed us nothing. We owe him everything. This is why we have joy. Not because we were worth saving, but because God is worthy. Because God is the worthy one. So with this whole gospel side of things, I pray we wouldn't treat the gospel like a precious stone, like a diamond that we keep and we think, yeah, this is wonderful. And then we store it into the top drawer and we never pull it out again. When you have a diamond, when you have a precious stone, you hold it to the light. You see the way different colors come off of it. That's what I hope we will do with the gospel in our lives, church. We'll return to it regularly. We'll come back to it and be grateful to what God has done for us. He who is forgiven much rejoices much. I think it's just the way it is. So joy through the gospel. But secondly, joy through our blessings. God has given us so many things to be thankful for, so many things to rejoice over. God blesses us with Christian growth. God blesses us when we see discipleship in those that we love. God blesses us when we see generosity being exhibited or being given to us. We see God seeing forgiveness with, between people. That's a blessing to watch that. When people who weren't talking, when God provides for you, your job, your house, your loved ones, they're all gifts from God. They're not wrong. They're good things. Paul gives us examples of his rejoicing. In the Philippian church, he rejoiced because the gospel was being spread. He rejoiced when the Corinthians expressed concern for him. They were worried about his, you know, his prison sentence and so forth. And to Timothy, he writes, I can't wait to see you again, Tim. I rejoice about coming to see you. And John, we see an example in 2 John where he says, faith is spreading. People are walking in the faith. It brings me joy. It's not wrong to enjoy the things God has given. But, here's the but. Whatever these blessings are, we must see them in light of the gospel. We must see them in proportion to the gospel. We must never overvalue the other things God does for us compared to the overarching mercy, grace that God has shown us through the cross. And church, 
If we're struggling with this, just go back to the diamond. Just go back to the cross. Go back to the penalty Jesus paid for us. If there's one thing the gospel teaches us, it's that relationships matter more than stuff. It matters more that God has blessed us with, and and with relationships, it matters more that God has welcomed us in more than people on earth welcome us in. If we get that right, Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. Learned that many years ago. That's what joy stood for. If we get that balance right, we will we'll be able to enjoy God's blessings in the context they were given. We can enjoy what God has done for us. Because church, if we get this wrong, our joy will be just like the world. Fleeting, fickle, just hopeless. I don't want that kind of joy. I'm done with the monopoly money. I hope you are as well. We want the joy that is all surpassing, comes from the gospel and enjoying the good things God has done for us in their right uh, manner and proportion. Thirdly, this life of joy manifests in our sorrows as well. You see, this is what I was saying before, joy and happiness don't always go together. Sometimes you are not happy. Sometimes life really does stink. It it's, doesn't mean joy is absent or has to be absent. Joy is always a choice. We can choose to mope or we can choose to rejoice. You see, happiness is something like this. When Jesus tells the story of the rich fool, and he says, I have plenty. I'll build bigger barns. I'll eat and drink and be merry. I can coast for the next few years. When Jesus says, you fool, this night your life will be required. Who gets your stuff then? That is the fleeting nature of happiness. What does joy say? Joy is a bit different. Joy is somebody like Habakkuk who sees the Babylonians coming. And to top it all off, he looks and he sees there's no fig tree blossoming. There's no fruit on the vine. The herd is gone. Oh my goodness. But yet will I rejoice in the Lord. When it's all crashing, when it's all falling apart, we have joy. We have the opportunity to rest in God's presence and care. That's, that's what joy is as well. It's resting in who God is. Even through sorrow. Because we look, at, we look to the scriptures, Jesus had sorrow. When Lazarus passed away, the first time, when Lazarus passed away and Jesus comes to his grave, he wept. He was sad. He was his friend. In Galatians, Paul is anguished from start to finish because they have believed a false gospel. He's like, oh, I can't believe it, Galatians. They're still joyful, but they're feeling the sorrows of life. And Paul even says to us, hey, you joyful people in Rome, guess what? Mourn with those who mourn. That doesn't sound very joyful. doesn't sound very happy. Maybe we've misunderstood joy. Joy isn't just being happy for the sake of it. Joy is, as I said, that inner state that you know that you're accepted by God. So no matter what life throws at you, that reality never changes. We can mourn with those who mourn. James goes one further. James says that we're to rejoice in our trials. James, are you nuts? Really? But this is why. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials because it's the testing of your faith that produces perseverance. He says rejoice because you're becoming mature. God is less concerned about your comfort and more concerned about your character. It's for your good. It's not pleasant. I'll give you that. 
But when we understand that, it helps our trials to make proper sense. We get a context of why we might be suffering, why we might be struggling. Joy gives our struggles purpose. Joy gives our battles reason. You know, I've got three girls and at various times, they've often jumped on me when I've least expected it. I still get it a little bit. And, uh, but they're getting bigger now and they forget that. And it's like, oh, I'm not prepared for that. I don't know, 20, 30 kilos, whatever it is. If I press that in the gym, it still hurts, right? It's the same weight, but I'm doing it for a reason. Can you see the point? Joy prepares us for suffering. Joy prepares us for the sorrows. So that when things come, it might be the same pain, but we can respond in a completely different way. We're prepared for it, you know? Just like if one of my kids is hanging off my neck, which does happen, um, as opposed to me lifting it, lifting a weight because I want fitness, because I want to be strong. Joy gives our battles a reason. Many of you might know the name Joni Erickson Tata, amazing author, amazing writer. Uh, If you don't know her story very quickly, she became a paraplegic about 20. She had a diving accident. And uh, because of that, she's, and, and her joy, the way she writes, the way she encourages Christians, she's become amazingly famous. Listen to this. She says, you don't have to be alone in your hurt. Comfort is yours. Joy is an option. And it's all been possible because of your Savior. You see, he went, through com- he went without comfort so you might have it. He postponed joy so that you might share in it. He willingly chose isolation so that you and I might never be alone in our hurt and our sorrow. We can have joy because Jesus counted it as joy to go to the cross. And he chose that path so that we might enter into his joy. Church, his joy sustains us when life is hard. His joy is what we need most in these battles. So that is the life to joy. And you might say, okay, I get it. And let me ask you, does that sound like your life? Are we more like the rich young fool? Are we more like Habakkuk? Are we somewhere in between? Where are we? I would suggest for most of us, we recognize there's more that God wants to do in this area in our lives. There's more joy he wants us to experience. And again, we can't pursue joy because it just becomes that endless treadmill. So how do we get it? How do we go from identifying that joy to then walking that life of joy? How do we do that? The path to joy, well, I think it goes a bit like this. When you see someone who is joyful, chances are they're going to exhibit the following. They're going to be someone who's intimate, and there could be more, intimate with Christ. Someone that flees sin. Someone that is freely giving and living generously. Someone that gladly serves God and his kingdom and his people. Someone who endures sacrifice, who, who puts up with suffering with patience. Now, let me ask you, let's look in the mirror here. How are we doing with that? What are we like? Do we have all or some of those things? Can we improve in some of those things? You see, church, this sermon is not here to tell you that you do X, Y. It's not a word or puzzle. You know, you get the, the letters right and suddenly, you know, that's it. I've got it. It doesn't work like that. The emphasis, and you're going to hear this again and again, is cultivating. With God's help, through His Spirit, through His Word, there are things we can do to help till the soil a bit. But at the end of the day, we've got to trust Him. 
But here are, some, here are some things that we can do to help cultivate joy in our lives. So let me rush through this. There's just a few things to say here. Number one, let's not pursue joy. Let's pursue intimacy with the joy giver. The key to joy, the key to all of these attitudes is they are things that rub on, off on us as we spend time with our God. As we value Him, as we treasure Him through His Word as we worship Him like we've done this morning, as we get into prayer, and hey, pray for joy, by all means, do that. But as we spend time with God, I'll guarantee you, the the more I've done this, the closer I walk with God, the more joy I know is in my life. The more that I see that my sufferings have a reason, the more that I can enjoy my blessings in the right manner, in the right way. So cultivating joy by pursuing intimacy with God. Secondly, treasure His gospel. Again, keep coming back to the diamond of the gospel of Christ. We need to make sure we see sin, grace, the cross, mercy in their proper focus. Not that I was something amazing that God saved, but God's gonna make something amazing out of me. There was nothing worth in us that we should be saved, but God is doing it for his glory and so that you might know his joy. Number three, value community. I can't stress this enough. Community allows us to share in each other's joys and to bear with one another's burdens. Very quick testimony. We, at the beginning of last year, our connect group fell apart. Cheryl and I were the only ones left. They all, they, they've, they've, they've all moved on. And we were left like refugees. We didn't know where to go. What do we do? You know, and the connect groups were at bad times for us. And eventually we found Rohan and Christine, shout out, I know you're watching. Um, and we joined their group. And within weeks, I'm like, yes, this is, this is community. This is communal living. This is about us sharing each other's joys, sharing each other's burdens. We've been able to pray for one another. We've been able to just encourage one another. Uh, our phones blow up every day on the WhatsApp chat because we're sharing verses and different things. Community matters. Community allows you to know that, hey, we're all going through this together. You know, this coronavirus thing, we're all in this together. Let me tell you, we can be together in the body of Christ. This is what it really means. Value community. And lastly, lastly, and this might flow out of the others a little bit, but I thought it bears mention. Never take God for granted. I submit if we are pursuing intimacy, if we're treasuring the gospel, value community, it's pretty hard to take God for granted. But I think it's worth mentioning as well because every relationship that ever breaks down in our human experience, almost always you can unilaterally say, someone took the other for granted. They assumed it was all going to be okay and they betrayed them or broke trust or whatever it is, right? We can't take God for granted. We can't take it for granted that we were worth saving. We can't take it for granted that God's just going to, you know, smile on my sin now that I'm saved, whatever it is. and, And God wants us to put to death selfishness. God wants us to be selfless. Selfishness will rob you of your joy. Selfishness will put you first. That's not how joy works. Joy works by putting God first. And if we put him first, it's a lot harder to take him for granted. And so church, as we wind this up, as we wind this up, I just wanna ask again, where are we on this scale? Where is our joy? Is our joy in Jesus? Is it in the gospel? Is it in knowing we've passed from death to life? We are now sons and daughters of the King. 
Or is our joy in our family, which, hey, we can, we can enjoy that to a point. Is our joy in our work? Is our joy in our prestige, the things we have, the things we own? They're not bad things, but they were never meant to be the main thing. They were never meant to be the source of our joy because they don't satisfy. I'm going to pray with you, and if you want to pray through this at the end, please do come forward. But let's just pray. Let's offer this to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are our joy. Lord, your word tells us that your joy is indeed our strength. Father, this morning I ask for your people, I ask that as we think on these thoughts, as we ponder your joy, as we ponder all that you have done for us, Lord, that we might find joy in our salvation. We might find joy in the glorious gospel. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hide it like a precious gem in the top drawer. We would come back to it regularly, daily even, and think about how good you have been to us, Lord. How good you are each and every day. Father, I ask for any heart this morning, we might look at ourselves now and think, yeah, I've, I've missed it. I've been enjoying the wrong things in the wrong proportion. I've been putting other things ahead of you. God, I ask for, Lord, I ask for repentance this morning, but I ask for release from that this morning. I ask for fresh vision of you this morning. Lord, we want to treasure your gospel. We want to treasure you and your goodness to us, Lord. You are the reason we're here. You are the reason we live our lives. And so God, would you come and do a work in this place today, Lord? Would you straighten up our hearts, Lord God? Lord, some of us might need just a tweak. Some of us might need a bit more help. But God, I pray we had open hearts to your gospel today. Lord, we didn't stop needing the gospel just because we got saved, Lord. We need your grace and your mercy each and every day of our lives. We can't go a moment without you, Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would be the source of our joy. I pray that you would be the one that we look to. Lord, it's only you that satisfies God. Not this world, not the relationships we have, not the stuff we can have. It's you, Jesus. Do a work in us, we pray, Lord. Lord, even throughout this week, help us to really treasure your word, treasure your gospel, treasure our time with you. Would you be our joy? Give us your joy, Lord Jesus. Let us stop chasing. Let us just rest in your care. It's the greatest joy. We give you all the glory and all the honor in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.